morning. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're continuing our conversation towards the end of that chapter, starting in verse 18. While you're flipping over there, a couple of things I want to mention to you that are going on uh, around here. He mentioned one of those. We are having a night of prayer tonight, just as a community of believers. Our our 15 Abide churches are going to be partnering together to just get before God together. Uh, In this strange time uh, in our country where we Kind of have the triple, the, the triple one, two, three punch hitting us right now from a, from a, a pandemic uh, issue to racial tension to political tensions. And it's time that the people of God just go before God together. And so we're going to do that corporately tonight, two locations, Sebring and downtown Sebring at six o'clock and also downtown Lake Placid at Devane Park. If you live down in Lake Placid, Avon Park. The Avon Park churches that are involved in Abide are coming down to the Sebring location. So that's, that'll be our two spots. So we hope that you'll join us for that time of prayers. A little bit of worship music as well to kind of focus our prayers um, towards the Lord. And you'll get to hear from a couple community leaders that aren't there to preach. They're just there to kind of help us frame up the, the lenses that we want to pray through on some very specific issues uh, in our country and our culture. I also wanted to uh, celebrate that we're... Uh, We've been meeting with our doctors and elders of our church, and we're ready to take uh, another calculated step forward in reopening the church. And so uh, starting next Sunday, um, we're going to, at the 8.30 and the 11.30 service, we're going to have children's ministry. So this one and then the the last one, we're going to have children's ministry going on on campus um, and so, uh, so get the word out there. Uh, and then, so that'll be the sixth. And then the ninth, um, September 9th, we'll open youth ministry on Wednesday nights, middle school and high school, but we won't have anything else going on on campus so that the middle school and high school students uh, under the leadership of Etienne, of course, will have access to the whole facility here so they can spread out and start to get together as a family of teenagers again and start worship God, get in small groups again. So we're taking those steps in the coming weeks. So be praying about that. That's coming down the pipe. Um, But just so you know, neither one of those ministries have been idle during this time, kids' life or student life. Uh, They've been having online small group discussions, uh, online Bible studies and worship services, and the kids have been leaning into that. And I wanted to give a special shout out to our kids' life ministry, which is preschool and elementary school and her leadership of Brenda Coulter. Her and the team, uh, her and her staff team, they went out around the community over the last two weeks and hit, I don't know, about 50 kids' houses that were either coming from, uh, for, coming from preschool into kindergarten or going from fifth grade into sixth grade. And they went to those homes, they dropped off half a dozen donuts, took some pictures, celebrated with the kids for the big transition in their life. If they got to a house where the kid wasn't home, they left a backpack full of school supplies, would you just uh, join me in celebrating our kids' life team? And that's, that's creative. I love that, you know. Our team's been working hard behind the scenes with whatever they can do in a strange time like this to make sure that they're continuing to engage the families and the children. Uh, if you're one of those kids, if, if your kid is going from a kinder, uh, a four-year-old to kindergarten or fifth grade into sixth grade and you didn't get a visit from our team um, and you have now joined GBC throughout uh, the last few months, Um, let us know. Uh, Our team would love to reach out to your kid and invite them kind of to the next step of getting involved here at GBC, and I'm sure they have a gift for them as well. So um, hopefully by now you are in um, 1 Peter chapter 3. I think I covered all the stuff I'm supposed to cover pre-sermon. Let's just read this, and then we'll talk. 
Verse 18, chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness that he might bring us to God. I think somebody ought to say amen right there. I mean, that's good news. Jesus suffered for our sins. He exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness once and for all, for all time, so that we might have the opportunity to be made right with God. We are made right with God by trusting in the words and work of Jesus. It's that simple, and yet that profound all at the same time. And Jesus did that work for us. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds with this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, all having to be subject to him, submissive to him. This is good news. Um, By the way, this is one of those passages of Scripture that you wouldn't just pick out of the Bible to have a sermon about. Um, There's some weird stuff in here. Actually, when when Cameron and I kind of put together the sermon outline, you know, looking forward over, over several months' time, like we actually titled this one Weird Week. Um, weird week. Yeah. Now I'm not going to put that online, uh, but I'll at least tell y'all in person because there's some interesting things in here. Um, when you look at a passage of scripture like this, and there are some mysterious places in the Bible that we see or hear some things you're like, Whoa, what in the world is he talking about? What did he mean by that? Oftentimes when we come to the confusing sections of scripture, uh, many folks, most of us, we kind of succumb to the temptation of just choosing to make it say what we want it to say. We don't want to do that. We want to figure out what he's actually saying and see what in the world does this have to do with the gospel story of Jesus and how it impacts us. So the the way to treat this type of passage that that is perfectly clear at the beginning and perfectly clear at the end and then in the middle it gets real muddy and confusing and controversial, um, the best place to start on a passage like this is let's start out with what we know. Always start with what you know to be true when you're looking at something like this. What we know is that verse 8 told us that Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins and he exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness so that we might be made right with God. He died a death that paid the price for those sins. And oh, by the way, death didn't have the final say because he was the first one in history and the last one in history that actually conquered death. And he put death to death so that we too might be able to experience the resurrection of Jesus. That's good news. That's what that passage says. Now, the part that we don't know, if that was the two buns to the conversation, now the burger in the middle, that's when it gets a little bit confusing. The way Peter decides to describe this work and talk about what Jesus has done is he kind of blazes the trail for us to resurrection and then gives us an analogy of what Jesus has done. It kind of gets a little confusing and convoluted. So we're going to spend the majority of our time clearing that up today. And my, I'm hoping, my goal um, is that I'm not confusing, <laughs> to be honest with you. I've been praying about it, I've been studying this week, and I'm hoping that God will give you an extra ear to hear as you lean into really one of the most unusual and mysterious places in the whole New Testament as as we talk about what Jesus did on his road to glory. 
Um, and so let's, let's keep reading. We recognize that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He exchanged righteousness for unrighteousness. And then Peter addresses this as if the next chronological thing after his death was this, verse 19. And then he went, into, he went and proclaimed to the spirits that were imprisoned because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Uh, who the heck is that? What spirits are in prison? Why did they get there? And what did Jesus say when he went there? Um, let's take a minute to look at that, and then we'll chop up the rest of this section. The first thing you need to know, if you're a note taker, uh, the word that he uses right there in the Greek for spirits is the word pneuma, spelled with a P, by the way. Uh, pneuma, like pneumonia or uh, pneumatics, uh, where, where we get our English words for like air and wind, all right? Uh, pneuma. Anytime you see that word pneuma in the Greek in the New Testament, it is uh, almost, almost exclusively referring to non-human spirits. Okay, so oftentimes when you see the Holy Spirit, it'd be the Holy Pneuma. Okay, that, that's what we see. It's a non-human spirit. When you see a human spirit referred to in the New Testament, uh, oftentimes the Greek word chosen is the word psyche, where we get psychological, where we get kind of our emotions and feelings, our psyche. That's the Greek word for the human spirit. But this one right here is the word pneuma. So apparently at some point in history, some non-human spirits got in trouble with God for disobeying him, and now they're in prison somewhere for some reason. And Peter gives us some context clues. I think we can totally understand everything Peter's saying if we just look at the context clues he gave us. He said, these spirits disobey God in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Are you ready for a scavenger hunt? If you have your Bibles, flip on over to Genesis 6. Let's take a close look at Noah. See who this is and what was happening. All the way back in Genesis chapter 6, way back in the beginning of your Bible. By the way, I, I, by the way, I teach, while you're turning over there, I, I taught on this whole section, Genesis 6, all the way through the flood in, in detail a few years ago. If you're interested, if, if this kind of like, creates more questions for you than it does answers, because I'm not going to dive into it. I just want you to know like, what spirits Peter's talking about. If you have more questions about it, just email me or email the office. I'll send you that sermon from a few years ago, and you can really take a deep dive look at what Genesis 6 is talking about. But here's the deal. Um, Peter says there were some spirits that disobeyed God back in the day while Noah was preparing the ark, and now they are in prison, and these are the ones that Jesus went and preached to after his death on the cross. Let's read Genesis chapter 6 here. When man began to multiply, remember this is way back in the beginning of creation. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters, and daughters were born to them. All right, so we started having girls were being born to families that were living here on earth. The sons of God, say sons of God. Sons of God almost exclusively is a phrase in the Old Testament Hebrew that refers to angels. Um, almost exclusively, like the other places we see this, the book of Job uses it several times, refers to angels as sons of God. So these non-human spirits, the angels. The sons of God saw the daughters of man and saw that they were attractive. ruh -roh. And they took as their wives as they chose. Not good. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever or with man forever, for he is flesh. That word for flesh in the Hebrew is he is corrupt. 
Things have gone south. Humanity is corrupt now. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, which is a Hebrew word for like uh, giants or the fallen ones, were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, who is that? The sons of God, probably the angels, came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, double rut row. They bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. We got a problem. You see what God's response to what happened here was? Just fast forward a few more verses. He tells Noah to build the ark and he floods the earth. Things had gone off the rails. Some fallen angels, whether they were ones that had fallen originally when Satan tried to overthrow God and they were a part of that group and they came in, or whether they were a whole different group that, that, that stepped away from their rightful domain in heaven because they were so attracted to women on earth and they had children with them. Um, either way, we got a real bad problem right here because we have these half-fallen angel, half-human children being born on earth and the world has gone wicked Rebelling against God, we've got these angel husband, human wife families with these like semi-supernatural children, and it's just, a, it's a mess. So now wonder God steps into the world and hits reset, except for one family. There's one family that had pure blood, one family that God had preserved from all of that chaos, and it was the family of who? Noah, yeah, which again, more detail if you listen to that other sermon that I preached a few years ago. We don't have time to dive into all this, even though this is an interesting conversation. The point I wanted to make is, for some reason, this is who Peter is referring to, and for whatever reason, when Jesus died on the cross, he went to the, your Bible may say the abyss, your Bible may say hell, it may say Hades, all right? It may say, uh, there's a variety of different words that get used to describe this prison, all right, this Tartarus, some of your Bibles may say, but ultimately Jesus went there and he proclaimed something to these spirits that were in prison. Um, by the way, this isn't the only time in scripture that this whole phenomenon, this whole scenario is referred to that we just looked at in Genesis chapter six. Um, Jude, Jude is only one chapter, so verse six says, uh, the angels who did not stay within their position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Second Peter 2, 4, and 5 also says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell or Tartarus or Hades or whatever your Bible translated as, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he didn't spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, you get the idea. It's making the connection again to the life of Noah. So here Jesus is. This helps answer for us, like, well, what was Jesus doing during the three days? After his death on the cross and before his resurrection, well, Peter reminds us that he had stepped into this, this prison. He had went to this place, and now he's proclaiming his victory to these angels that had been in prison there. Um, by the way, this, I've heard several times throughout my life uh, somebody say, oh, yeah, well, you know, like when Jesus died, he went to hell for three days to suffer for our sins before he was resurrected. No, he didn't. Um, he went to hell or Hades or Tartarus or however your Bible translated. He went there to proclaim his victory. He went there to remind all the powers of evil and wickedness that the victory had been won. 
That was the sermon that he preached. I bet the sermon that he preached was what we just saw in 1 Peter right here, that he suffered for the sins and he exchanged righteousness for unrighteousness. And though he's put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit, but he's about to resurrect. He's about to come back to life and he's gonna go into heaven and be at the right hand of God and all the angels and all the authorities and all the powers are gonna now be submitted to him. That's probably the sermon that he preached while he was there. That's good news for us. Kind of strange, huh? Got your tinfoil hat on? Have I lost you? This is weird, man. That's why I call it Weird Week. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Uh, this is one reason why we teach expositorily most of the time, because this is not a sermon that I would typically preach at Grace Bible. But since we're studying a whole book of the Bible, I want you to understand exactly what Peter is telling us. And he lets us know. Why does he tell us that? He's showing us. He's showing us what Jesus has blazed the path for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he didn't blaze a path to the cross. He blazed it through the cross. He didn't blaze a path to the grave. He blazed it through the grave. And on the way, he proclaimed victory over all of evil, letting them know that they had been defeated. That's the point. You know, the enemy that is always trying to steal, kill, and destroy, the enemy that is trying to distract, to deceive, to thwart, to discourage, to depress, you know that enemy? You've had some experience with that in your life, right? Well, Jesus has proclaimed and continues to proclaim that he has victory over them, that their sentence has been set and their judgment day is coming soon. That's good news. That's real good news. He doesn't stop there. Peter goes on by giving us this antitype, say antitype. It's kind of like an analogy. Peter goes on to give us an analogy to further describe what he is saying here, and he uses, he said, hey, while we're talking about Noah and the ark, let me just give you an analogy of how this whole Noah and the ark story pays dividends in the life of the believer today, and he, he goes on to say this, uh, kind of halfway through verse 20, uh, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah and the ark, you know, Jesus had preached to the spirits that were in prison, God's patience was waiting in the days of Noah and the ark. That's his grace period, by the way, that 120 days, or while the ark was being built throughout those years. Like, that's God being graceful of those 120 years. That's him. That's his grace being displayed. Um, and he says, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Say, through the water. You know the story of Noah and the ark? Noah builds the ark. He and his family get on the ark. For all, the whole time they're building the ark, everybody else is like insulting them. Saying, hey, it's never rained here before. They've never even seen a boat. What are you building? That thing's not going to float. What does it even mean to float? God told me to build it. There's a storm coming. His judgment's coming. And there are only eight people that survived the flood of the earth. It was Noah and his family. And it says that they were saved through the water. Baptism, say Baptism which corresponds to this. In other words, baptism is a great analogy for this, an anti-type of that. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Let's stop right there. Let's make sure we get the analogy right. Um, obviously, it wasn't the water that saved Noah and his family, was it? Matter of fact, the water itself was the agent of judgment from God. Wasn't it? It was the what he flooded the earth, and that's what that's what wiped out all this mayhem we read about in Genesis six. So the water was the agent of judgment. What was the what was the agent of rescue? What was the agent of salvation that God gave Noah and his family? It was the ark. 
right? So I just want to make sure we're getting this framed up right. Notice that the Bible tells that they, got, they were saved through the water. So in other words, they weren't saved because of the water. Matter of fact, they were saved in spite of the water. The water was wiping everybody out. They didn't get saved because they jumped in too. They got saved because they stayed out of it. And they were in the ark. This is the anti-type picture that Christians who are enduring through the hard stuff of life, they're seeing the wickedness in the world around them that are wondering if if they're preaching and they're teaching and they're loving and they're inviting people around their table at home and they're ministering to their friends and they're praying for people and they're wondering if it's even working because the things around them, just like in first century Rome, are going off the rails. Persecution on the body of Christ was at an all-time high. People were losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. It just seemed bleak and hopeless at best. This is a reminder that even in the days of Noah, I bet they felt the same way, but they continued to trust in the words and work of God. And God prepared for them an ark so that they could be rescued from the incoming judgment of God. And he gives this picture of the anti-type that we as a people of Jesus, followers of Jesus, that we're not going to be saved through the water, but we get saved in spite of the water because we know that our salvation comes from getting in the ark, that's the, the analogy, but what it means for us as Christians is it's being in Christ, who is the true and better ark. Is our way through, is our way out, is our way to salvation. Now what's confusing about this analogy right here is because of the statement that is made, baptism now saves you, whole churches have built doctrine and theology around that thought that unless you get dunked in the water, then you're not actually saved or rescued. And what happens, we see the statement and we miss the whole analogy. We miss the point that Noah and his family stayed out of the water. They didn't get into the water. So he can't be talking about baptism through water. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, just in case we get confused, thinking that, well, we have to be baptized or immersed in water in order to be saved, he goes on to clear it up by saying, I'm not talking about Verse 21, I'm not talking about the removal of dirt from your body. I'm not talking about you getting dunked in the water. He says, but what I'm talking about is the appeal to God for a good conscience. These these words, you need to underline these, these, a word and a phrase. You need to underline appeal. You need to underline good conscience. These words in the Greek are supposed to jump off the page at us. That word appeal, I'm not even going to say it in the Greek for you because I'd ruin it and you wouldn't even be able to spell it anyway if I said it because I'd mess it up. That word appeal in the Greek, what that translates to most closely in the English language is a pledge, that we pledge ourselves to God. It's not getting dunked in the water that rescues you, he says. It's not washing the dirt off your body that rescues you. It's the pledge that you have to God, that you're pledging yourself. It's the appeal that you're making to God for a good conscience, underlying good conscience. Now that phrase right there doesn't mean that your conscience is clear, that you feel good about yourself or the situations around you, but that that phrase right there in the Hebrew kind of translates into English language as loyalty, that we have a good conscience towards God. In other words, we are steadfastly loyal to him. So you catch this? The baptism that saves you is not the washing of water, but it is the pledge and the surrender of loyalty to God. You catch what he's saying right there? I don't want you to miss this. This is a big deal. And I know some of you right now in this conversation, I probably just 
undermined some of the theology that you have been believing your whole life. This, this, is not, this isn't one of those moments where I'm trying to be offensive or hurt your feelings, like I'm trying to set you free. I want you to recognize the truth of the Word of God. I want you to recognize that Jesus is not an add water type entity. Jesus is enough, he was enough, and he will be enough, all on his own. He doesn't need the help of Highlands County well water to clean people. He already did the work of cleansing. He did it on the cross. Remember, he exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And just as in the days of Noah, he offers us an ark. Though the world's going to be looking and saying, man, there's, there's more ways to God. We don't need an ark. Arks are for people that need a crutch. You don't need that. There's a way around this. And by the way, God's like super sweet now. Since Jesus came, he would never bring judgment on the world like that. He would never do anything like that. And Jesus extends to us the opportunity through his work to have a pledge of loyalty to him so that we would be among the few that will escape the judgment of God one day. By the pledge of loyalty that we have to him. In other words, you hear us say the phrase, by confessing Jesus as Lord of your life or by surrendering your life to him. That's what we mean by that. The pledge of loyalty to God saying he is king and I am not. And now that leaves a question, well, Dustin, like you just, you're just kind of like throwing baptism out totally. No, I don't mean to do that at all. I'm just trying to clarify this passage because this is one of the passages that is used to say that, well, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. If you see the phrase and miss the analogy, you've missed the whole point Peter's trying to make. Anybody who is a believer in Christ Jesus should be baptized should take the step of believer's baptism. To be immersed in the water is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to be identifying with what he has done for you. And so that the world might know that you have committed. Like this is a biblical thing. Jesus modeled actual water baptism for us. But it's not water baptism that saves us. It's baptism into the ark, into Jesus. Baptism into Christ himself is our only way to rescue we do water baptism as a symbol of the covenant that we have with God. And this was important for us now, but it was so important for them then. Because being publicly baptized in a time that you could lose your life for following Jesus, that was a bold declaration to the world that you were a follower of Christ. And quite honestly, we could use a few more bold declarations to the world this day and age that we are followers of Christ. You hear what I'm saying? So the question is, which by the way, we have a baptism coming up here pretty soon, but since we're not talking really about water baptism here, we're talking about immersion into Jesus. Um, why does Peter tie Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison, proclaiming his victory to the Christian immersing themselves in the ark that is Jesus? Why does he use those two things together? It feels like he's chasing a rabbit. Like, oh, well, while we're talking about Noah, let me just mention this. That's what it seems like. Why does he tie those two things together? Um, let me just leave you with this. I've been reading what the scholars have had to say about this. And it seems to me, um, you know, when Jesus went and preached to those spirits in prison that are still, by the way, in chains, those particular ones from the days of Noah, in chains, waiting for the day of judgment, wherever that is, wherever the abyss is or Hades is, um, 
Peter gives us this analogy of immersing ourselves into Jesus. And I mean, by extension, even public baptism, because those things should go hand in hand. Um, to remind us that every time a sinner repents, every time someone who is not a follower of Jesus pledges themselves to the Lord, and maybe even goes as far as publicly being baptized as the word would call them to do, like, it sends the same bold declaration to all the powers of evil that the words of Christ did on that very day. It reminds the power of evil, Satan and all of his demons, that they have been defeated and their judgment day is coming. Every time a sinner repents, it just reminds him that he is not the ultimate authority. He cannot capture the heart of humanity because the Holy Spirit of God is all the more powerful and all the more potent and all the more real. And every time somebody stands up, walks an aisle, raises their hand, takes a step of believer's baptism, steps into the life of Christ, gives their life over to him, all the power of evil shudders yet again. Heaven celebrates and wickedness trembles yet again. Just like they did the day that Jesus proclaimed that in the prison. It's good news. So I can't talk about this without getting straight with you right quick. Um, I know that not everybody that attends church here is a real follower of Jesus. Some of y'all just play church. You like the talks. You like the music. Maybe you've just grown up around church your whole life and you figure you became a Jesus follower by osmosis somehow. No, it takes a legitimate point in time and history of your life that you pledged yourself in loyalty to God, confessing him as the Lord of your life. Like if that has never happened, then you are not yet saved. You hear what I'm saying? You need to know. I don't want to offend you. I want to set you free. I want you to experience the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And that you, just like these first century believers that would have been reading this, upon your confession of faith that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that he is the king of your life, if you, as you pledge yourself to him, you too, you too get to enjoy the benefits of being a part of the family of God that Jesus, by the way, blazed a trail through death all the way to a resurrection. And that resurrection is yours as well. That one day, one day we're going to be set free from all this craziness. You know, I bet you when we get to heaven, after about two days, we're going to start laughing at all the dumb stuff we got so upset about on earth. We're going to recognize just how glorious and how wonderful our Lord Jesus is, what really matters. So I'm trying to fast forward that in our head and hearts because I want us to be a people that are on mission, to see the world around us as people that are desperate for the good news story of God. And I want to make sure that you know him too. Have you ever, ask yourself to, have, listen to what I'm saying. If you checked out, check back in. Have you ever in your life, can you, can you point to a certain time or a certain season in your life where you actually came to a point of recognizing Jesus as Lord? And you confessed that to him. In your heart of hearts, you, you gave your life to him. Lord, you gave me this life, and I'm giving it right back to you because you are king. And I trust in your word, and I trust in your work. Have you? If you haven't, you have not yet crossed from death to life. But in the quietness of your heart, even right now, you can make that confession to him. And I hope that you would. 
As a matter of fact, let's bow your head, and I want you to get before the Lord right now. If you do not yet, if you can't remember a time, maybe because you've just been running from God or not interested in God, and then today you've decided that he is Lord, or maybe you've come up around church culture so much that you have just totally missed the boat. Either way, whichever category you're in or anything in between, have you confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life? And I hope that you would right now. So go before him in prayer. He hears this prayer, trust me, and he will respond to this one. Give your life to him. Surrender yourself and your family and your business and everything that you are to him as a pledge. Loyalty to the king, Lord. This is all yours and I am yours. Lord, thank you that you are mine. My life is yours. I confess that you are king and you are Lord and you are Savior. And I trust in your word and in your work. That your death on the cross was enough for me. And that your resurrection was enough to bring life to me. If this is the first time you've ever prayed that, and it's the first season of your life that you've made that declaration like, we want, I want to talk to you after the service is over. I'm not going to drag you down here in front of everybody right now, but I do hope that Pastor Cameron, he's going to be over there in the corner. Pastor Chris will be over there in this corner. I'm going to be around here to just help greet folks as well. And like, we, Would you come and talk to us? Let us know that you made that declaration to the Lord so we can start the process of pointing you towards how to grow in this relationship with Jesus. Um, lift up your heads just for a moment, ladies and gents. Um, I mentioned that we do have baptism coming up, and we do. Actual water baptism. We're not sure how it's going to work right now because things are strange, but we're going to try. Um, so here's what you need to know about baptism coming up. is September 27th. We are going to offer a baptism service. I believe that it's going to be happening out at Lake Denton at the GCBI campus, which we'll give you more info about that as we get closer, but anybody that is um, wanting, who has confessed Jesus as Lord, wanting to move towards this believer's baptism that we're talking about, we're going to do it out in the lake. Um, we have baptism classes that we require to anybody that, that says, hey, yeah, I'm a believer and I want to be baptized. We want to be able to have a conversation with you uh, to make sure you understand the decision that you're making and also um, to have, give us an opportunity to just ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. So we're going to have one this Thursday at 4 o'clock. That's, is it on Zoom? Yeah. And then next Sunday at 1130, is that in person or on Zoom? Also on Zoom. Okay. Um, so Thursday at 4, next Sunday at 11, the way to sign up for that is to contact the office or your church center app or get in touch with us online on the website. All right, you can email us. You can come up and tell us today that you want to be a part of that. We'll jot it down. Um, but anyways, hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for hanging in for a strange conversation. And I hope through this you got to see Jesus a little more clearly. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the words and work of Jesus that we aren't a people who are depending on a boat of wood made by the hands of a man. But we are depending on the Savior, who is the true and better ark, who is our true and better rescuer and Savior, God. And I thank you that we have the hope of life. We have the hope of resurrection and new life in him. 
And Lord, I know that that even starts now, that you can even resurrect the dead things in us right now. Broken stuff, dead stuff, sick stuff. Because your conquering of death was enough to conquer all the dead things too. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. I pray for those that are new in believing Jesus as the Lord of their life. And I ask that you would be their ultimate discipler and you would grab hold of them even right now and draw them under your wing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.